Thanks for downloading this first of two episodes of the C-Suite podcast that are being produced in partnership with the customer engagement platform Amasis, part of SAP. Uh, my name is Russell Goldsmith. I'm the regular host of the C-Suite podcast. But for this episode, I'm thrilled to say that Sushareed Herkadali, VP, Principal Analyst serving e-business and channel strategy professionals at Forrester, has accepted uh, Amasis's invite to moderate this first discussion, uh, which is being recorded to coincide with the National Retail Federation's 2020. 21 Retail Big Show that is taking place virtually uh, this year due to COVID restrictions. Uh, now, the focus of this episode will be on what 2021's retail marketing priorities should be. And so joining Sushirita online to discuss these, uh, we have Kristin Smith, Senior Vice President Digital at the children's clothing brand Hannah Anderson, uh, Gavin Wilden, CEO of technology provider Purple, uh, Payal Hindocha, a Vertical Product Marketing Manager at Amasis, and finally, John Stark, Vice President, Business Development at online retailer Zulily. Uh, now we'll also hear from Ratul Shah, Head of Product Marketing at SAP Customer Data Solutions, who I caught up with earlier this week. Uh, so thank you all so much for uh, taking the time to join us online today. We've got so much to get through, so I'm going to hand straight over to Sasharita. Great. Thank you so much, Russell. And uh, thank you all for joining us today. Um, I'm excited about this conversation with three retailers. And uh, it's it's not, all, you know, kind of other than at an event, um, I don't get a chance to, to get this many um, brilliant minds in, in one place at one time. So I'm just going to dig right in and just, just, just dive right in. And um, just uh, I'd love to get the recap of 2020 from your perspective. So Kristen, um, what has the pandemic? I mean, you all are in such very, you know, varied and different industries, and it's affected all of you differently. Um, you know, Kristen, talk about what what the pandemic has done to Hannah Anderson, and um, what what are you guys planning? You know, what's your outlook for twenty twenty one? Yeah, well, thank you very much, and, and good morning, everyone. Um, for those of you who are not as familiar with Hannah Anderson, it's a, it's a great brand. It's about 35 years old, really focused in kids' apparel and sleepwear. And, you know, when the pandemic hit, like a lot of retailers, it was really difficult, right? You had to change all of your plans, all of your strategies. We had a you know small store base. Of course, our stores were impacted. And so for us, it was just, I think, a, a masterclass in agility and flexibility, quite frankly. And so there was a lot of strategies. And, and one of the things that I would say that Hannah is really good at is being nimble and being agile, which is incredibly important in a situation like this. We had, you know, a, a big business around swim and of course spring break, which in the beginning of the pandemic and currently right now, not a lot of people are going on spring break and going on vacations as much. So how do we be a lot more sensitive to our customers? where they are in the moment with homeschooling and all of the things that everyone's facing, quite frankly. So one of the things that we just let, leaned into was a lot around our customer messaging and our customer communication. It was so important for us just to try to provide you know, value-added content, whether it's blog posts to keep kids entertained or to do things around you know, surprise and delight to keep people engaged with us. But really, you know, we also were very lucky in that one of our core categories is pajamas. And you know, we jokingly say that we go from our nighttime pajamas to our daytime pajamas now, and no one's really going into the office, so structured clothes aren't as, as necessary. And so we had that luxury, but there was definitely a lot of, of changes and shifts. And one of the things, though, that I think was really helpful for us is that we had embarked upon a I'd call journey of transformation back in 2019. And that really helped us pretty significantly. So there were some technology investments that we made, really trying to evolve and modernize our technology stack 
especially around communication, that was helpful. So one of the things that we actually just accomplished probably about middle of the year was transitioning to Emarsis, standing up a lot of other different technologies. And so we've had some great success there, but it's really been an important thing to try to say, how do we maintain and stay nimble and stay agile for 2021? We're really optimistic about it, but still going to be hard. There's definitely some headwinds that we're all facing, you know, still with the vaccines and understanding that. Of course, there's technology updates that are going on. But overall, we've got a great outlook for the year. We closed out 2021, excuse me, 2020 in a great place. And so we hope that momentum continues to carry us forward with all the investments that we've done. Great. Thank you, Kristen. And uh, it's I'm, I'm pleased to hear that the company managed to, to make it through 2020 and uh, hopefully is uh, well set up for 2021. Um, John, um, it's been a while since I've talked to anybody at Zulily, and I'm, I'm curious to hear how the company has evolved through the pandemic. And, um, you know, have you leaned more into your history of, of, of essentially flash events or has the, the business, you know, kind of changed and evolved and needed to to move in different directions? Thanks very much uh, for the question. Uh, Great to be here with everyone this morning. What uh, Kristen said resonates uh, with me. Uh, Last year, obviously, uh, turned a lot of what we think about retail uh, upside down. A quick intro for those that are not aware. So Lily is an online retailer. And uh, as you pointed out, we launched in uh, 2010, focused on providing deals for moms, babies, and kids, uh, largely in a, a flash sale model. We've really evolved the business over the last year. The entire retail industry, we've been impacted by the pandemic from our uh, core customer to the priority and need for business continuity. So like many others, we had to reinvent uh, a new normal, if you will, from the creative that we bring to life in our studios every day to how our supply chain uh, interacts uh, to the partnerships with the brands that we serve to our customers. I actually joined Zalili in January uh, last year. So I was I think physically in the office, technically about six weeks. Most of those six weeks, though, I was uh, on the road uh, meeting with uh, our brands and, and, and partners. And so even for me individually, it was uh, a unique experience in that I was onboarding and then building out a team remotely for most of the year, uh, which reminds me that uh, team health, safety, and well-being is and continues to be our number one priority as a company as we continue to operate as an essential business We saw a significant amount of uh, growth last year. Part of that, as you alluded to, is uh, given our our history as an online retailer, we were, I think, uniquely positioned to lean into the needs of our core customers. In our case, our core customers are moms. And because of the agility of our business model, we've been able to continue to build on that over the last uh, 11 years. I think last year, when I look back on it, we doubled down and refocused uh, all of our customer-facing activity on our original customer target of moms with kids at home. We wanted to lean in and pivot our customer experience to focus on what product and needs are top of mind for her, her family, and her home. We made a number of significant changes to our online merchandising and quickly curated home essentials for example, focusing on newly trending categories, including home, athleisure, food and storage, business tools, tech resources, certainly pajamas, and, and, and so forth. We shifted our merchandising strategy to quickly evolve to the needs of the customers. My team in particular pays very close attention to consumer purchase behavior and trends because we want to be serving up new, fresh product and brands uh, uh, in, a, in a engaging customer experience every single day. 
At the start of the pandemic, we saw an immediate product mix shift, growth in categories, as I mentioned. Our arts and crafts business is up nearly 200% with puzzles performing especially well. Uh, sleepwear, pool toys, bakeware, uh, you name it. Another example would be that we sold uh, over 1 million non-medical grade face coverings from the beginning of the pandemic into April of last year. Uh, We were also able to partner with many different types of brands, uh, which sparked growth in categories like maternity. Brands and vendors who have seen their brick and mortar business erode partnered with us to reach our coveted mom customers. For example, we introduced Motherhood Maternity, uh, which launched during Mother's Day. So I think similar to Kristen, I I too am uh, positive for 2021. We see opportunities to grow our business and continue to partner with brands and vendors in exciting ways. Great, great. And uh, for anyone who is listening closely, I often get questions about, well, what categories are selling and what is hot these days? And, and John just listed off essentially all of those, uh, those hot areas. Now, um, a theme consistently there is, uh, is agility between both John and um, Kristen having mentioned it. Gavin, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, the, much of the audience may, well, some people may be familiar with Purple, but um, there's probably an opportunity for you to hopefully acquire some new customers on this call. Why don't you tell us a, a little bit about, um, about Purple and, uh, and how the pandemic has, uh, has impacted your business? Sure. So I'll, I'll say good afternoon. I'm, I'm on the other side of the pond, so coming towards the end of my day. Um, and for those that don't know who Purple are, we, we help physical spaces be as smart as the, the online version. So we're a tech company. We work with brands like Walmart, Under Armour, Kate Spade, um, the whole host and a large format. So, you know, Harvey Nichols and Harrods, if, you, if you've been to the UK or uh, entire airports. And we do that using existing technology like Wi-Fi, uh, BLE. We use the Earth's geomagnetic core. Uh, to do indoor wayfinding so you know similar to a google maps outdoor but for the indoors so we we bring all of the intelligence that you would get online like how many visitors do i get how often do they come what's the bounce rate the conversion the recency the frequency so that whole suite of analytics of understanding my customers but in the physical store Um, and obviously that then moves from insight to action so how do i reward loyalty how do i get customers back that haven't been for a while um, how do I spot trends in particular customer types or demographics? So, so that's broadly what we do. As I say, we, we work with retailers all over the world, 120 countries. Hopefully, that's a, a good good overview. And how how would you say the pandemic has impacted your business and your clients? So, we focus on on three areas with customer safety, experience, and reward. Now, typically in the past, it's it's been a little bit of safety, but predominantly experience and reward. So how do we improve customer experience and, and how do we drive people to come back more? So, you know, we, we, we can increase revenue. How do we increase basket size? Because we know the minute somebody walks in pre-purchase. So if you walk in a, a Walmart, instead of it being post-purchase where you've used loyalty, we know the second somebody gets there because we detect them from the Wi-Fi uh, presence. We've had seen a shift more towards the safety element, and we, we integrate with cameras both 3D and 2D, so we can do occupancy management and really understand how many people are in a store or an area of a store at any given time. 
and and clearly that the whole social distancing has, has driven that and you've probably seen it yourself with people stood on the front with clipboards or giant calculators trying to work out how many are in a store at any given time and we can automate all of that and, and we've seen in certainly Latin America and some of the European countries that is now a legal requirement so if people exceed occupancy levels they face fines and and we can help them automate the whole process so we've seen a a shift in our retail customers saying, well, we're closed, but we need to get ready to, to be open and welcome back. Or the brief time that they were open in the UK in the summer, we, we need to control that occupancy and understand you know, when people are coming, times of day, so that we can staff in the right ways to deal with you know, the peaks and troughs of, of traffic that we get. And, and one of the things that we're, we're quite excited about, we've been pushing with customers is externalizing that data so we already have you probably seen the traffic light type systems outside that say you know stop go um you know it's, it's full or it's not but externalizing that now into apps and the website so if i'm a consumer and i'm you know at the lower end of the risk profile i can see that my local tesco store is really quiet on the thursday morning between 10 and 11 so that's the time i'm going to choose to go or I can see now that the local store is actually quite busy, but the one three miles down the road is really quiet. So I can choose to go to that one. So it's that, you know, we've seen a real shift towards safety and in, in getting that consumer trust. So, you know, that initially I think the challenge is getting people to leave the house to go back to stores. And then when they're at those stores, making them feel safe enough that they want to come back again. And, and that's where we've seen a shift in what we're doing with our customers now. Great. Um, Pyle, one of the the great things about having you here is you have um, such a broad purview based on um, the number of clients that you work with. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you've seen in 2020 with the variety of companies that Amarsis works with, which of course covers not only a global you know, variety, but also pretty much every sector there there is from a vertical standpoint. Thanks, Sukarita, and it's a real pleasure to be here today. Abby Masters, we're really fortunate to partner with brands like Hannah Anderson and work with Kristen and her team to help them achieve their vision and their goals around customer engagement. And for those who don't know Imasis, uh, at Imasis, we have a really, like you mentioned, a globally diverse customer base with over 1,500 clients, but we're primarily focused, or most of our clients are in the retail sector. And we help our clients use their data more effectively to deliver those in the moment, contextually relevant, personalized interactions at scale. And during the holiday season, we surveyed about 355 U.S. businesses who have a turnover of $20 million and over. And we found that one in five of these businesses fundamentally changed how they do business. And in 2020's tough environment, it was really a catalyst, but it was a catalyst for positive change and adaption. And the investment in more online and mobile channels that these businesses have made, we don't actually see that trend going away and we don't see that changing in 2021. But furthermore to what we actually found in some of this research and also what some of our clients say is that the increase in digital channel engagement from 2020 also meant that brands collected a lot more data on their customers than they otherwise would have. And the challenge there was that they didn't quite have the right expertise or the technology ecosystem to really understand who their customers were 
what their preferences were, and what to really do with that data, but also how to store it and how to process it and really how to use it to keep their customers engaged. And because of that, they also found it challenging to keep their customers engaged outside of what they could offer on discounts and different offers. And we saw this across the industry, that mass discounts were promoted to either clear stocks or keep customers coming back to a brand. But this also opened up opportunity because what it also meant that what we saw a lot of these brands, almost about 38 to 40 percent of them moving away from these discounts and using online or digital personalization to grow their online presence. And almost 59% of these businesses said that loyal customers contributed to more revenue in 2020 than they did in previous years. And with personalization being seen as an online growth driver, it also led to 51% of them saying that more customers completed their product discovery and purchase journeys via mobile phone and in particular mobile app. And because of the huge surge in mobile engagement or mobile digital channel engagement, it also led brands or businesses to try and replicate the experience that they have in store to the same experience that they have online. And as I mentioned that this increase in digital channel engagement also meant that a majority of these businesses that we surveyed, almost 79 to 80% of them, they collected more data on new customers in 2020. That meant that with um, those brands who had all of this data, they also invested in more customer-centric technology to store and process that data and then use that data to personalize the the digital channels that customers were engaging in in 2020. And because of that, they also invested in different online marketplaces. So being, uh, being present in marketplaces like eBay and Amazon to ensure that relevancy and availability for their customers if they didn't quite have that direct link to their customers. Great, thank you for um, for that uh, for that insight and all of that great data from from the survey. Um, now, of course, as digital has um, shaped so much of the commerce experience in 2020, it's been something that everybody has needed to lean heavily into. Um, and to Pyle's point about the fact that um, you know this is there's a trove of information that we're able to collect, but it also raises questions around um, you know what are we doing with that data? A lot of questions even prior to the pandemic um, related to to privacy and the usage of that data. Kristen, I'd love to get your thoughts on what what has that meant for for Hannah Anderson. What processes have you put in place? How have you been thinking about that tension between getting as much information as you can, but doing so responsibly? Yes, I think it's a it's a great question, and it's definitely a challenge, right? And it's something that's evolving pretty much every day. And so, again, for for our company, we've been around for thirty five plus years. So, as you can imagine, some some of our data might not be in the best shape, um, and and really, that's been part of our transformation and our journey. How do we access our data? What data do we share in terms of internally to make the great business decisions that we're looking on? And really, being the data driven organization. One of the things that I've said for our leadership team and our board and everyone else is 21 needs to be the year of data in a much bigger way for Hannah. And so for us, while we use data and we leverage it, there's just more opportunity. And obviously with some of the changes that are coming down as well as quickly, it's absolutely critical for the business. And so for us, we're in this journey, you know, we've been in the journey, quite frankly, we put in a new ERP, I want to say it was back 2016, 2017. 
And so obviously there was, you know, a couple bumps and bruises along the way with that. I'm sure everyone can relate to some degree. And so it's a lot of cleanup that we're trying to do right now and really a lot of optimization. And also, how do we make sure that it's trusted data across the organization? It's safe. We've really invested also in um, some internal resources around security and privacy to make sure that we are maintaining the best experience for our customers. It's absolutely critical for us. And then making sure that we're thinking about things like loyalty program, of course, is critical for us because that first-party data and really giving a reason to, for the customer to give us the data that we need to provide that more personalized experience. We've started scratching the surface a little bit and, of course, seeing some great results in email and some social and some things along those lines, but there's just so much more that we can do, and we know that. Um, and so for us, is trying to figure out how do we make sure that that exchange, if you will, is, is as transparent to customers as possible. They understand what we're doing with their data and how we're doing it, and we make it worth their while in terms of it's not just about um, coupons and promotions and things like that. You know, I think the, the comment earlier was you saw a lot of retailers really trying to pull back on the batch and blast, kind of the same promotion for everyone and get a lot more surgical with that. And that's certainly something that we've been trying to do. And thinking of things like a non-traditional type of a loyalty program that has elements of engagement with it. So if you like, if you share, if you do a review, it's not just about you make a purchase and you get a coupon. That's, that's certainly, you know, a lot of the loyalty programs are like that. But if you think about that 360 customer journey and how we really want to make sure that we're building a relationship with a customer. It's not just about the transaction. We have to look a little bit more broadly than a lot of those more traditional touch points. So we're kind of, you know, I'd say midstream in our data journey. I think it's, it's a journey that never ends, you know, in this space, quite frankly. Just when you think you've got things in a good place, there's going to be some legislation that changes or some rules that change. And so it's how do you also maintain a pulse of what's going on and build an architecture and an infrastructure that allows you to be much more nimble and agile in terms of how do you use and leverage your data. Yeah. And I want to ask one follow-up question because you did mention, you know, kind of the constantly changing landscape. How do you keep on top of everything? Are you relying on service providers? Are there certain companies that you have a great network with that that you're able to, to lean on? Like how, how are you keeping on top of, of everything that, that you need to keep on top of? It, that is a great question. I mean, some days it feels like whack-a-mole, right? You know, you figure you got one thing done and then another one pops up over here. So for us, there's a lot of different things. We do have some great partners, right? And I'm also a big believer in tapping into the collective genius of, the, you know, the group, so to speak. So, you know, I ha- love having conversations like this with, you know, bright people in the industry. There's a lot of either formal or informal groups that we're a part of. And it's a lot about sharing of ideas. Also, we've got some great partners, whether it's in legal or like I was talking about some of the privacy companies, et cetera. So it's really trying to look across the landscape because, you know, I don't think any one group has got this completely figured out right now. That's the other component that I would say is that everyone's trying to figure this out almost real time in the moment. You know, for example, I remember back last year when everyone was trying to scramble and figure out, okay, how do we deal with CCPA? Right. What, what are we doing here? And a lot of these blueprints weren't necessarily clear or easy to understand. So it was a lot of tapping into some of our various partners. And so we've been very lucky with that. Yeah. And it definitely doesn't help when a lot of the legislation is vaguely written or, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a challenge for everybody. <laughs> um, so John, um, Zulili is in a unique position because um, the company has so much 
first party data, I would I would imagine. Um, but at the same time, you're you're constantly you know trying to acquire new customers and you know kind of also facing a number of these issues that are data and privacy related. And uh, would love to hear your thoughts on how the company is uh, is thinking about these issues and um, if you have any good advice for for people listening on uh, on how to manage this rocky landscape I agree with Kristen it's uh, it's something that's uh, constantly evolving and we just continue to uh, you know to learn and and invest effort in our omni channel personalization as many of you may know uh, Zulily has an opt-in uh, member base so for us, it's about driving engagement via compelling communication. It's important as we do that, that we select the best content, the right events, the contact method, the frequency of communication for each member in, in order to uh, drive a uh, very personalized uh, experience. Because we have an opt-in member base, we certainly have you know, lots of data on our customers and we're really focused on building a, a one-to-one relationship. We have uh, very robust uh, marketing and technology teams, machine learning inside uh, the organization, and that's uh, going to be very important to the functionality that we uh, we, we continue to build out uh, as we look to improve the customer experience uh, going forward. That said, I would say for me, uh, our challenges have really been most about product scarcity and supply chains. That's That's more what keeps me up at night. It's less about the ability to sell. Uh, as a business, we don't hold very much inventory, which means the priorities from a product strategy standpoint are about driving fresh new product for our moms or for our, our customer experience, which means innovating on our platform through technology and leveraging the agility in our business model. I'll give you uh, a few examples. We launched a marketplace uh, model a few months ago with a test of the wine category. This was designed as a way to lean into product categories that are highly relevant to our customers and de- develop a different way for brands to connect with the Zoli customer auto- uh, automatically by using a marketplace approach. We also started to unlock and act uh, as a fulfillment service for brands who previously may have not have worked with Zoli. We can start to leverage our millions of customers uh, to benefit brick and mortar brands, maintaining their brand equity while using the scale of an online uh, retailer to reach those customers who are likely to shop their brands through our personalized shopping experience. So new, uh, fresh, trending, uh, in-season product is key to customer happiness in my view. We see a great opportunity to continue to work with brands and retailers and in 2020, the pandemic truly accelerated those conversations. Some of the things that I'd heard um, the company had done over the years, I'm curious um, if it's if it's still the case, is um, you, you know kind of the opportunity to provide brands marketing and in in other outbound packages, um, for instance, is and it sounds like. It's almost um, like a media network that that Zulily had, leveraging to your point those um, you know that your vast array of customers. Is that is that an asset that that you are continuing to to exploit? It is. It's it's an, an area that I think we'd uh, like to continue uh, growing. Uh, we want to make sure that uh, when we think about our value proposition, that it's uh, it's not just about putting product on our site, but it's about brands reaching millions of customers. We're, we're set up, I think, to help our vendor partners not only move excess inventory, 
or launch a new product quickly because of our flex flexible business model, uh, but also uh, just to expand their 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 reach. Uh, we also provide real time insights using our vendor portal. So uh, again, data insights. The analytics are very, uh, very important. So real-time sales information for brands about product size, size, location, uh, all important parts of uh, what we're trying uh, to provide. And again, as I mentioned, from a vendor fulfillment services standpoint, which I think increased in importance uh, during the pandemic, we provide brands uh, with access to our warehouse uh, pro- uh, product, not only for Zalili, but for their direct-to-consumer wholesale and retail businesses uh, as well. Gavin, um, with the the presence in in the physical space that you have, these issues of data and privacy, I think, affect you a little bit differently. Talk to us a little bit about some of the the challenges and uh, and how you overcome the issues in a in a world where we're having increasingly more privacy legislation. So, <clears throat> worth saying first of all, we, we collect first party data through Wi Fi logging. So we have 166 million users of the Wi-Fi in various places via our customers all over the world. And and we've been through this many years ago with GDPR, which I think was the first sort of really heavy-hitting legislation um, and helping our customers in Europe. And it's safe to say that when that first happened, there were digital bonfires all over the show because there were piles of data with, you know, unknown or, or shaky rights attached to them. And one of the things we were able to do is work with customers and say, well, look, if you've got if you know that you've not got the rights, it it needs to go. If there's some uncertainty, let's try and refresh those rights. And and via the Wi-Fi login, we were able to do that with many customers. And Pizza Express, as an example, we went live. We increased their CRM database by 600 percent in under three months and refreshed. I think it was 60 percent of all of their existing data with new right so that they could be confident in in using that so having gone through that you know we we saw ccpa come in and obviously work with customers on that and the new york privacy shield for poppy in south africa we're working with customers in brazil on i forget the lpgd i think it is but yeah we've seen that sort of come from europe and and go around the world and, and very familiar with it and deal with it very much firsthand because we're collecting that data on behalf of our customers and, and at considerable volumes. Kyle, um, how does all of this conversation fare with what you're seeing from your point of view? Um, because you're squarely in the middle of, of helping customers use their data responsibly. So would love to get your thoughts on um, whether this is consistent or are you seeing anything else beyond what we've already talked about? It, it- it's really consistent to what um, John, Gavin, and even Kristen have covered. But also GDPR and, and CCPA, they are regulations and, and protections on customer data privacy. But also it, uh, about, about a year or so ago, Apple, Google, and Firefox also announced that they won't be supporting the use of third-party cookies on their browsers anymore. And as part of Apple's announcement in 2020, um, the iOS 14th, the IDFA identifier for advertisers will also no longer be relevant or widely used for customer identifier on mobile for for any kind of advertising and marketing purposes. And with regards to those those third-party cookies, um, Safari and Mozilla, they've already blocked the use of third-party cookies, and they now require explicit 
consent and opt-in per channel for the customer to be able to use that data. And really echoing was what John was referring to in terms of opt-in. It's Right now, it's not something that we've seen a lot of brands prioritize, but it does need to be a strategy that they build on. Because the impact is that marketers will actually have no way to get those insights from mobile and online customer behavior unless a customer provides them with the explicit permission to track and use their first party data. And this also impacts how brands will measure and really analyze the effectiveness on their campaigns around across their budget, as well as what they're overall contributing to the business. And also, if if, say, for example, a brand hasn't prioritized the identification of their customers across different channels and actually capture that consent, they have no way of using that data to personalize and move away from discounts and offers. And they've actually lost sight of who that customer is. And uh, really echo to what um, to Gavin and John were talking about is even that in store customer identification is still an opt-in is something that we see happening more and more where brands are now starting to prioritize the identification and opt-in capture across every channel not just the digital channel but especially in in store too because let's face it majority of transactions still happen in physical stores e-commerce yes is a, is a, a vitally important channel but if you look at our industry both having an omni-channel presence is incredibly uh, incredibly valuable because it gives your customer the option of going anywhere for your brand. So in 2021, really considering these regulations on customer data privacy and what Apple, Google and uh, Firefox are, are doing is we're really saying that brands need to develop or, or have a strategy to identify who their customers are, capture that consent so that they can legally communicate with them and also process permission data correctly across multiple systems. So having that data, keeping it in one place, it's it's difficult to then use that data, but really having it flowing in different systems in an organization is how brands can really make use of that uh, permission-based data that they've got captured from their customers. And even though, like I had mentioned before, uh, that increase in digital channel engagement and 79% of the businesses that we surveyed previously collected more data from new customers in 2020, but almost half of them said that they actually couldn't use that data because it lived in silos, it lived in different systems, and was really difficult to manage because of the unfragmented technology ecosystem or the fragmented technology ecosystem that they currently had in place. So I think from what we've seen and uh, also based on some of the research and the surveys that we've done is some of these brands have invested in having that right technology like a customer data platform or and a customer engagement platform as part of their infrastructure to really help scale those operations and legally use customer data in the right way. Kristen, I want to follow up a little bit on that because as we know in the retail industry, the single biggest way that everybody has grown is, of course, by investing heavily in customer acquisition. But uh, but this is going to be a problem um, moving forward because a lot of our approaches that we got so accustomed to through you know, kind of the, the 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 knots in the last you know kind of decade go away. Is that part of your interest in building out your loyalty program? You know, how do you plan to manage customer acquisition in this new world? Yeah, well, you know, like I, I was saying before, it's just it's an ever changing landscape. And what Payal was just saying about the iOS update, it's just it's slightly terrifying when you think about it. I think the statistic that I saw is about seventy percent of iOS users 
currently share their data, right? And that's going to potentially drop to about 10 to 15%. That is a staggering drop that you're going to see. And so how do we work through that? And so a lot of the things that, you know, she was just referencing around things like a CDP and et cetera, those are exactly the types of things that we're working on. So loyalty program, CDP, how do we get the data understand it um, and make sure it's easily accessible throughout the organization because you know it was kind of I was chuckling internally when Pyle was just describing this that's been a little bit of where we are it's been siloed it's been fragmented so bringing it all together and really understanding that that data is our most one of our most valuable resources and one of our most valuable elements to the brand of course we have great product great design but for us it's that how do we make sure that we are getting that that data through a loyalty program how are we feeding all the various different systems how are we clear of who's doing what when and how with the data as well because that's going to be a really important thing for brands going forward is what type of data stewardship do you show to your customers and how transparent are you about that data stewardship? Because, you know, let's face it, every day it feels like there's another story about another hack, another breach, another this. And so customers are getting, I think, increasingly sensitive and aware here in the United States. Maybe we're not quite to the degree in Europe and some of the other um, geographies, but still it's becoming much more of a conversation that people are having. And so, for example, with what's going on with Apple and Facebook right now, we are staying so close to that and everything that we can do to try to get ahead of it. We absolutely are. And I think it's kind of like a a weekly touch base that we have. Okay, what's going on? How can we get ahead? All of those types of things. What have you heard with all of our various partners? Just to see if there's even the slightest thing and smallest tweak that we can do to maintain that kind of standard that I was saying about the great data stewardship and transparency, but at the same time, not completely hamstringing our customer acquisition efforts, which, you know, we had a, a lovely 2020 in that respect, and I'd like to continue that momentum. So it's that constant, I think, friction and tension that we're going to have to continue to work through. Just to echo Kristen's viewpoint, I'd I'd like to add something here. Customers need to be central to an organization and their data needs to be accessible across different systems to be able to deliver that in the moment, contextually relevant, personalized experience for each individual customer, especially when they react with a brand across many different touch points, not just one touch point, but whether that's going to be via digital channels or a physical store or via even a call center. And when brands prioritize customers, that means they know unique attributes about that customer that no other brand knows. And this competitive advantage, together with how brands use loyalty, can be used to win and retain customers in 2021 and offer a value exchange for that customer for their opt-in and for them to continue giving that opt-in and also offer that experience that a customer can't get anywhere else. So when we look at when we advise brands on loyalty, it's it's more than just points and prizes. It's about what you have to offer for your customer that they can't actually get anywhere else. So it's your it's a brand's proposition, it's their value proposition on how they differentiate themselves in a very crowded market. So customer data and how we use that customer data and loyalty is key to nurturing and growing their relationships for brands to grow their and nurture their relationships with customers through that contextually relevant in the moment experiences that ultimately drive repeat purchase. I'd like to follow up to that. Uh, so Lily is unique in that in order for a shopper, a shopper to access our incredible deals, we currently require an opt-in email address. 
This, along with thousands of other variables, enable our machine learning and data science teams to personalize that one-to-one -one shopping experience I was talking about earlier across all of our cohorts, such as new activations, reactivations, and so forth. So the deep knowledge that we have of our customer, what device she likes to use, what her first purchase was, how she engages with us, uh, with what product events, curated themes, categories, brands, geography, how she found us, et cetera, all are inputs into the experience that we're trying to create uniquely for her. Right. That leads me to uh, a little bit of a transition because uh, I think now it would be a good time to bring in Ratul Shah from the SAP Customer Data Solutions team, um, who Russell spoke to earlier this week. And uh, he started by asking Ratul, why customer identity and access management is important. A customer identity and access management solution or a CIM solution is really designed to help your business understand who your customers are and how they want to be treated. And what does that really mean? So it provides the technology, the digital technology that allows brands and retailers to build an easy way to help identify and remove the friction for customers coming into your brand. It also helps you understand how they want to be engaged. So when you think about knowing who someone is, what kind of devices they use, what channels they want to be communicated on, what their preferences are, and the consent to use that data to personalize the experience in a digital way consistently, it helps you increase your conversion rates. And more importantly, it helps you drive retention because you're able to be consistent with the delivery of services to them across the journey. And so I guess that leads onto the need for retailers to, to have a customer data platform, is that right? Absolutely. So when you think about what we just said around knowing who someone is and how they want to be treated, you need to take that data and of course do that in the digital world. But retail businesses are complex because it's not just completely online. There is an offline component to this in the sense of they have physical retail stores. So how do you identify someone when they come into an area? How do you combine that data together? Utilize the purpose of that data to engage in both the digital and physical worlds, as well as optimize your business for a customer-centric experience. As we've seen the rise of two different types of CDPs, one being the customer data platform, that solution that helps you centralize all of the unified profile data into an area that helps you connect to your front office and your back office to orchestrate experiences, but also the rise of customer data privacy regulations. And those two things together, the need to truly understand who your customer is, how they want to be treated, and use that data in a purpose-built way to design customer experiences that are truly impactful and giving the business what they need to design operations to deliver and exceed those expectations are what's critical. Because as you think about what a CDP is really helping a business do, it is that unification of data. So the true understanding, you need to be able to respect your customer because you'll have the purpose of their data and use all of that in a consistent and trusted way. And of course, then activating that data across channels, not just in the digital world, but in the physical world. And then of course, as you continue to engage with them, that you are making sure that you're doing it in a trusted way and you're doing it in a way that is exceeding their expectations and beneficial to both you as the business and the consumer to continue to drive loyalty and engagement throughout the funnel. Okay, so that's a, that's a great background to it. But why are CIAMs and CDPs even more important right now? 
You know, there are two primary reasons that I like to think about what's happening in the digital world today. So last year with COVID, we all saw rapid lockdowns and businesses really having to go digital the right way. They needed to stand up storefronts and do it in a trusted way. And so CIM Solutions provided the consistent technology to allow companies to build digital applications and websites, to build trust in a seamless way, to help you once again identify who someone is, make it easy for them to use your services, and then, of course, understand how they want to be treated. But recently, we've seen the decline or the pressure put on by big technologies on cookies. And what that really means is that advertisers are having to find new ways of understanding who people are. So Apple is releasing uh, new regulations in their iOS 14 to talk about not being, you know, for an end user to be able to turn off the ability to be tracked across apps. So what does that really mean? So advertising effectiveness may start to go down. Knowing who your customers are may start to go down because you're you're used to getting a lot of third-party data. But what a CIM solution allows you to do is build those trusted relationships with someone in a, directly. So you are able to, to capture and collect consent-based first-party data. And why is this important or how do you actually do it? So why it's important is it helps you understand who someone is and helps you build that relationship directly with them. So when you know who someone is, not just the device they're using or the application they're using, but you truly know who they are because they've logged in, they're going to trust you. You're going to be able to uh, have a confidence that who you're of who you're talking to. And secondly, if you progressively build your information, your first-party repository of data up over time, you ask their likes, their interests, and you ask them if you can use this information in a way that's relevant. So it's not it's done in a transparent way, and you're enabling control over their data, which is what a CIM solution allows you to do. The data you now have on them is of a higher quality, and it's you can use it in a way that they will understand. You're going to help build their trust over time. John, you heard what Ratul had to say, and how are you set up at Zulily with respect to a CDP and much of this uh, this view of customer access that um, that is uh, not necessarily prevalent in all of retail. Ratul's focus on customer customer identification and access measurement is very similar to how we at Zulily approach our customer. We aim to deliver a personalized, fun shopping experience with unbeatable deals on great product. So from a customer relationship standpoint, we're always fine-tuning our approach. We aim to reach and build uh, an emotional connection with our customers by using data and insights to reach them on the right channel at the right time with the right message, and it most importantly, personalized just for them. We're also always gonna continue on, on uh, earning her trust. It's something that's important to us. We wanna focus on every day we have an opportunity to do so through technology and innovation, through transparency. We wanna build great experiences for our customers' future. Uh, we have the benefit of having information to serve our customers better from the front end customer experience to the back end and vendor enabled uh, components. For example, uh, from an agility standpoint, we're set up to help brands move excess inventory or launch a new product quickly because of our flexible business model. We curate and launch events very, very quickly. Uh, on partnership, our brand partners receive unique insights. We provide access to real-time sales information by product size, style, and location, for example. We also have the ability to inform critical product strategy decisions on the fly uh, because of the data and insights that we provide to our brands and vendor partners. 
And lastly, I would say that we are always looking for ways to support the back end of our brand partners. We know there are constraints in the global supply chain and continue to be disruptions. And so, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we also offer the use of our warehouses in Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Nevada to our brands and vendor partners to warehouse product, not only for Zillily, but also for their uh, wholesale retail business and direct-to-consumer channels. Uh, those are just a few of the ways I've mentioned that we're using what I refer to as our surround sound of data, if you will, to create uh, better customer experiences. Kyle, this has been a fantastic conversation. I'm curious to hear your final thoughts on what's next for retailers in 2021. So I completely agree with um, everything John, Gavin and Kristen have said. And just echoing on uh, Kristen's viewpoint a little bit there, as as well as Ratul's and John's, where customers really need to be central to an organization and their data needs to be accessible across different systems to be able to really deliver those in the moment, contextually relevant, personalized experiences for each of each and every individual customer when they interact with the brand. And not just on one touch point, but on any touch point across any digital and physical channels. And like exactly like the success story that uh, that that John was talking about, that when brands prioritize customers, that means they know unique attributes about that customer that no other brand really knows. And this competitive advantage, together with how brands use loyalty, can be used to win and retain customers in 2021 and offer an experience that a customer can't get anywhere else because the data that you have on that customer is unique to that customer and it's unique to that brand. And with more competition than ever before in the retail sector and more brands selling long online, it's really key to nurture and grow that relationship with customers through those contextually relevant in-the-moment experiences that ultimately drive repeat purchase and loyalty. Okay, and before we hand things back to Russell, I want to get just a quick round from everyone of what's your advice to retailers for the coming year. Kristen, can we start with you? I'd have to say continue to be being agile is kind of obvious, but I think the other thing too, and a, and a lot of retailers, I think talk about this, but how much do they really do it is don't be afraid to test and try and be, you know, of course, fail, fail fast and learn from it and continue to try new things. Authenticity is really important, I think, for brands right now. And when you do make a mistake, own it, understand it. But I think there's going to be a couple of main trends that come out in 21, especially in the retail space that we tend to sit in. One of those is around purpose-based content or commerce. You see a lot of, of companies and brands leaning into this. And I think everyone's very aware right now of just the chaos that's going on in the world. And so having a higher sense of purpose and how you incorporate that within the commerce experience is going to be an important component. You know, and that empathy and humanity is also an important element. So how do you make sure that you are providing the best experience to your customer, maintaining that agility and being able to pivot quickly? Who knows what 21 is going to bring? If it's anything like 20, buckle up, quite frankly. It's it's one of those things that I'm, while I'm really excited about, I think that we're positioned well from a brand in terms of our culture, our philosophy going forward, but it's definitely going to be something for us to continue to try to lean into and really empower our teams. And it's a core component of our culture as a brand. So that's that's what I would say for 21. John? I agree with what Kristen just said. I, I think in addition to agility, it's, it's about adaptability and being able to pivot and adapt uh, quickly. At Zulili and, 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 and even specifically on my own uh, uh, team uh, that I lead, 
I encourage a culture of experimentation. I don't want the people that I work with to be afraid to take a risk because that's how we test and learn. And I think that's an important part of our culture. And I think that's one of one of the the uh, corporate traits that we have that has enabled us to be successful. And again, I think this has been a key theme uh, from everyone today. It's it's really, uh, I think, all about omni-channel personalization. We'll continue to strategically source new business using data, monitoring trends, building strategic partnerships, and working closely with uh, the brands that we work with as a segmented channel partner. But I, I think uh, if 2021, like Kristen said, is anything like 2020, agility, adaptability, a test and learn, and a culture of experimentation is, is going to be incredibly important uh, for brands to adapt uh, to the uh, new environment uh, or the, the new normal that we find ourselves in. Gavin? I'm probably a little bit more glass half full in, in thinking that 2021 might be a lot better than 20 and that, that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, obviously, we're very focused on on the physical spaces. We we do you know link into the, the sort of online channels as well. But I guess for those physical spaces, I think that the biggest challenge that retailers have got is building trust again and, and getting trust from the consumer to feel safe and come back to store. And as I said earlier, to then give them the, a feeling of safety when they're there that they'll come back again and again. But the second thing I'd, I'd say is is around experience because people have got so used to shopping online. You know, if you've got a store that doesn't give some sort of experience, then you've just got a very expensive distribution channel. So thinking about, you know, how those consumers interact when they're at that store will be important in, in winning mindshare. And, and I guess it's it's going to be about understanding, you know, there, is, there will be a new normal. You know, people's behaviours will have changed. You know, maybe there'll be more local shopping, maybe there won't. You know, who knows? And I think it's important that, that retailers are in a position to be able to, to get the data to understand that because whatever they were used to, it will be different. And if you don't have ways of collecting that data and understanding it, then you're working in the dark. Pyle, you get the last word. Thank you. And I just wanted to uh, compliment what um, Gavin uh, just said, that it's important to collect that data. And what we saw, uh, just to last at from the survey that we saw was that 51% of the businesses that we surveyed saw that more customers were completing product discovery to purchase journey through a mobile app. Now, that's a significant increase to what we've seen in the last few years. And and just to compliment Gavin, it's to say that one of the biggest investments would be to connect the online, offline, and mobile data sets with a technology ecosystem that really allows a brand to be customer-centric. So their data is not siloed. It's it's made available to, to many different teams in the organization, similar to what John was talking about, and then use that data to create meaningful experiences with a customer anywhere they choose to actually interact with a brand. And we also found that online retailers intended to focus on selling through marketplaces such as Amazon and eBay as a route to customers, but about 37 to 40% actually intended to invest in their own branded channels. And by doing so, it actually, it allows a brand to really understand who their customers are and be able to control the engagement and experience they deliver to that customer. And by investing in their own branded channel, they're also able to like really capture store process and use that customer data in a compliant and legal way. And I think uh, a key focus for the retail sector this year should be really putting the customers at the heart of their organization and 
earning the right to use their data and use this data as their competitive advantage and ensuring that there's value exchange for their customer to be able to, one, provide their consent and also come back to a brand. And when a brand can really understand who their customers are and meet them with contextually relevant, in-the-moment, personalized experiences across any touch point, digital, physical, online, in-store, they're really meeting customer expectations. And this customer expectation was there a few years ago, and it's what customers demand and still expect now. And this is what's probably going to drive repeat purchase, loyalty, and growth in 2021. Well, thank you all for your wonderful insights. Russ, back to you. Thank you so much, Sushirita, for uh, moderating such a fantastic and fascinating discussion. It's actually been great for me because I'm normally the one hosting all these and I've just sat back and listened uh, this time and it's, and it's been absolutely brilliant. So thank you again. And j- just before I let everyone go, Payal, I, I know Amasis have launched an ebook at the uh, at the NRF event covering a lot of what we've discussed today. Can you just tell us a little bit more about that and where our listeners can download a copy? Sure, thanks. Uh, so instead of, uh, as usual, publishing a guide on this year's predictions, like we normally would have in, in uh, under normal circumstances, um, 2020 was a, a very difficult year to predict. And a lot of what happened really wasn't in a brand's control. So instead, this year, we've created an unpredictions guide, which looks at what we've learned in 2020 and what are some of the foundations that a brand can control and are needed to be successful in 2021. And across the Amasis and SAP client base, our unpredictions guide gives retail brands some guidance on how they can better adapt to grow in the current retail landscape. And if you'd like to have a look at this guide, please download a copy at emarsys.com. So that's E-M-A-R-S-Y-S.com. Tremendous. Uh, well, a huge thank you to all our guests for joining us today. So Kristin Smith, Gavin Wilden, Pale Hindocha and uh, John Stark and to Rattle Shah for his contribution too. And uh, once again, a massive thank you to Sushirita Kadali for uh, moderating the discussion. Uh, just a reminder of that URL that Payal uh, gave out. If you want to download a copy of the Unpredictions ebook, uh, simply go to amarsis.com. Um, actually, if you go to amarsis.com slash learn, I think you'll find a, a link directly to it. In the meantime, uh, we'd love to hear any comments you may have on any of the topic areas we have covered today and so if you'd like to contribute to the discussion uh, you can do that on the c-suite podcast facebook page twitter feed or linkedin and instagram pages they are all linked from the top of the website at c-suitepodcast.com where you'll also find all previous shows and supporting show notes plus links to where you can subscribe for automatic downloads of each episode via your favorite podcast app and if you've liked what you've heard then please do give us a positive rating and review Uh, do make sure you are subscribed ready for the second of the uh, two podcasts that we're producing in partnership with the Marsis. Uh, that should be out in a few weeks. Uh, finally, if you would like to get in touch with the show, you can do that via the contact form on the website as well, or you can connect with me on Twitter using at Russ Goldsmith, or you can find me on LinkedIn. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye. Mm-hmm.